Hey guys, um, I am currently broadcasting live, but I am getting ready to um, set up my Instagram so that I'm live on Instagram as well. So I am currently live on YouTube, uh, Instagram, and Facebook. Let me make sure this is the case. Currently live on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, Please forgive me if I do not respond immediately or at all to your um, comments during the live stream. Um, sometimes I'm not looking at, because I'm on three screens, I'm on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. So I don't always, like, I'm not always looking at all three platforms. Uh, some, uh, most of the times I'll get you on Instagram if you leave, a, if you, um, if you message me during the live broadcast on Instagram, but I don't always catch it when it is on um, Facebook or YouTube. And I apologize for that. Somebody was commenting yesterday, I mean, this morning when I was broadcasting on YouTube and I didn't get a chance to get to that person. So I wanna apologize to that person. Um, I believe that person's name was like, okay, I can't remember right now, but. Anyway, um, so today's video, today's live stream is, or this evening's live stream, because I did one this morning, uh, is um, is called 11 Stages of Wokeness, Healing from Trauma of Racism. Now, I know that um, what I'm about to talk about is going to be extremely emotionally um, hard on people. And it might be hard on people, but I think what is harder on people are certain things like seeing the dead bodies of black people on TV after hearing that a white 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 police officers are killing black people or um, learning about the traumas of racism, learning about uh, racism throughout the uh, centuries, learning about colonialism, learning about the horrors of slavery, of the slavery that occurred to black people in, 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 in throughout history and stuff. And so today's video, I wanted to really talk about, cause actually my bachelor's degree was in psychology. Um, so today's video, I, I definitely want, cause someone, someone said to me, I mean, there's been multiple people who've questioned kind of my allegiance to Christianity. Um, the fact that I have allegiance to Christianity, despite the fact that a lot of the horrors that were done to black Africans and many, dark uh, brown skinned people all over the world um, was done in the name of Christianity. A lot of the horrors were done in the name of Christianity. And there was a time when I was in denial about this, I would say, well, you know, it's not really, We may, are, are you sure, whatever, but it's like written down in history books, it's recorded. Some people wrote it there's themselves. Some of the people who did the things wrote themselves, how they felt about black people at that time and how they felt black people played a role in Christianity and or or brown skinned people, even like Native Americans and indigenous people all over the world, what they felt the role of Christianity was in those people's lives. So so my so I wanted to really do a video in detail talking about, and this is a very vulnerable video for me, in detail talking about my personal reconciliation with the realities of this horror. This horror I speak of is obviously um, the the issue of racism and um, the racism and the realities of what happened to brown skinned people all over the world. So, um, in light of in light of all that, I do want to say that if this video should in any way uh, this video is not meant to be therapeutic, although I hope that I will have a therapeutic quality to it in the sense of helping people understand what is happening in them and and to them when they have certain feelings of surrounding um, the understanding of racism, the understanding of, um, you know, colonialism, your feelings about white people, your feelings about Christianity, um, in addition to uh, you know, maybe loving a white person or loving or being a Christian and at the same time reconciling all of that with being black and knowing what happened to you and what was happening. Um, I don't, I won't pretend that I have all the answers because I don't. And if you should feel triggered or suicidal throughout the process of watching this or listening to this, please, please, please go talk to a psychiatric professional. 
um, and trust that they are there to help you um, and you know speak to someone who loves you um, and trust that they also are there to help you. And I think that's the best way that we can we can come to a healing. We can heal from all of this that is happening. All of that, that, you know, all, all of anything, you know, my bachelor's degree is said, as I said before, is in psychology. So some of these terms I understand. Um, and I want to bring, shed some light on them, speak about them in, 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 in normal terms so that people can understand what my insight is. Um, one of the things that I would like to say also is that, um, Okay, so so the thing that precipitated this, the thing that made me want to do this, is you know multiple people have asked me recently because of some of the posts that I've created, including a post about um, a post that asked the question, if colonizers came to civilize the savages, why did they bring Bibles and not why did they translate Bibles and not textbooks? And you know I think some people think that I'm questioning Christianity when I ask that question. But I myself feel that I've already come to, in a lot of ways, come to terms with my feelings about everything. Um, I think other people may question Christianity as a result of me asking that question. But me, myself, I'm only questioning the nature of our reality and the nature of how we understand things and see things. Um, one thing that I will say also is that the the context in which... so. So anyway, it is hard for me to say these things because I am, you know, there, there are, I'm, even though I am a strong, I believe I'm healed, I, I've healed from most of these things. I've interacted with white people. I know that they're not all bad. I know that they're all human beings and some all of them have faults, just like every black person has a fault. We're all humans, we're all broken, we're all fallible. I understand that. But then on, there's another level of me that is also, um, that also is human and has feelings, sometimes feelings of anger, sometimes feeling of disappointment, sometimes feeling of depression, sometimes feeling of sadness. And so all of these things put together make up who I am and make up what a human being is. And I accept that and I recognize that and I embrace that. Um, but like I said, as always, if you feel anything come up while you're watching this, please speak to someone you love, please speak to a psychiatric professional. The way I'm going to talk about the issues, the, this whole thing, the 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 stages of uh, racial trauma, the stages of healing from racial trauma, um, I'm going to talk about it in the context of child sexual abuse, because I believe that it's similar. I believe that these two things are similar. I believe that the issue of child sexual abuse and the issue of racial trauma is similar. And the similarities, and I've felt like this for a very long time, the I felt, felt like either sexual abuse or physical abuse, as in beating your child to a bloody pulp, um, and then, ex then at the end of the day, expecting them to still love you as their parent. I felt that these things are very similar. And the reason I felt that they were similar is because essentially, what's essentially happening is that the person involved, the, the victim, is, be, is, is made to question their identity be, um, because the person who the first person that is supposed to have loved them and care about them and, and, and says that they're under, that someone who takes care of them in a very intimate and personal way has violated them. Someone who is has power over them. And what I truly and honestly believe within myself is that whoever has the most power in a relationship is the one that has the most responsibility to protect the vulnerability of the other person who cannot, like we all have that responsibility. And that's just not my concept. That's not me making it up. It's a Christian concept. And it's one of the things that allows me to be Christian. God said it first, not me, that, um, you know, husbands should protect their wives as Christ, should love their wives as Christ, love the church and Christ died for the church. And even God in everything that he does, it's always a self-sacrificial thing. It's, it's so that you can, it's because of the dynamic of the relationship. He's the most powerful. So um, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that Christian theology and everything like that. But there's a reason why I have not abandoned the Christian faith, despite the fact that I understand the nature of what happened. And I won't get into the details of that. I really want to focus today on this on the stages of healing. Now, um, I've posted a link on the YouTube video where I'm broadcasting this on my channel, as well as my Facebook page which is um, facebook.com forward slash Wudo LLC. 
Um, I, I'm live streaming on those two uh, on those two platforms as well. And if you are watching on the on either of those two platforms, you will see that there is a link to uh, two articles there. And those are two articles that I'm going to um, be talking about. I'm going to be using as as, as a uh, template to talk to to talk through this issue. Um, those are the two articles I'm going to be using to talk through the through this issue. Um, the first one has six stages. The second one has eleven stages of healing from child sexual abuse, or as we'll call it today, healing from the trauma of racism. One more thing I want to mention about the trauma of racism is that even when a child is sexually abused, more than one thing happens. It's not just that they are molested and it's only a relationship between that person and the perpetrator, their, their parent who, or, or whoever sexually abused them, whatever, whatever guardian figure molested them. It's not just a problem in the dynamic of the relationship between that child and that person. That child's trust was violated, not only by that person, but also by people around that child who, who they may feel allowed it to happen people around that child, the, the other parent or parents, the siblings, the aunts, the uncles, the teachers, the society that allowed that child to experience that type of violation are all it's an, in an implicit, complicit way um, participants in that sexual abuse you know, maybe they never said anything about the about maybe people overlook it or treat it like it's, you know, um, it's a small thing or make jokes about it like it's not a big deal. All those things make that child a little bit more, um, all, breaks down that child's kind of spirit or trust or perception of you know what society should be it all it all works on the child's sense of self um when they feel that no one sees them no one hears them no one knows that the thing that, that there's something happening inside of them that no one can understand so I'm getting sad. <laughs> so as I said before, if anyone, um, if anyone, if anyone goes through, if anyone feels, like I said, triggered or suicidal while listening to me to talk today, please, I'll keep saying it, go speak to someone who loves you and go speak to, um, or go speak to a psychiatric professional um, and trust that they have your best interest at heart with the words that they give you. Um, and use discernment also. Okay, so let's start with the Huffington Post article called Six Steps for Healing from Child Sexual Abuse. I'm starting with the Huffington Post article because it has less steps and um, it has less steps and it's so it, it might be easier to go through and then, co and then compare with the, um, the longer, the one with the, the, the 11 steps. So the steps in the Huffington Post article are number one, trust, number two, validate, number three, be angry, number four, grieve, and number five, allow sorrow, and number six, face forward. I can already see that it's not complete because I saw, I, I read the stages for the 11 ones, but there's a few things I want to talk about in this article. Um, actually, let me just read this article. I'm just going to straight up read it. I hope everyone's okay with that says, this person, I think she's the one that was molested. So she says, I remember the day I knew I wasn't crazy. My dad, who had a black belt in manipulation, was a strategist behind the custody war for my children. On behalf of my soon-to-be ex-husband, so her dad was strategizing with her ex-husband to get their kids. At the heart of this maelstrom lay my shattered self. I discovered that my dad was still molesting my marriage was over and neither my parents nor my, nor my children's father minded aiming through my kids to get at me. I was in the, this mess because I'd had the audacity to speak the truth 
about our incestuous family and was in the process of removing grandparents' rights in protection of my children. A headache tapped at my temples, inside out. As I took my coffee and stepped us outside, our backyard was an oasis of beauty on that sunny, warm California morning. The kids were off to school and I was reading a book that was supposed to help me understand me better. So said my therapist. I didn't want to go. Who wants to read about incest? But if I was going to protect my kids, I was going to have to toughen up. So I locked eyes on the page and got to it. Soon, I had to get up to get a box of Kleenex. The author gave language to my tumbled emotions, to feelings I couldn't have described. She was adamant. It is never a child's fault. All these are like strong words. Hi, um, hi, Indidi. I'm talking today about um, about like the healing the trauma of racism, um, and I'm comparing it to child sexual abuse. And I'm telling people over and over again that if they feel triggered by this conversation, or if they feel suicidal by this conversation, that they should definitely go speak to either someone they love, or um, or a psychiatric professional. Because I really feel that's, that the trauma of racism is similar to being violated by someone who is supposed to be protecting to, protecting you. So hey, so yeah, um, so I just want to like give some give some some background for you just joining me. Um, as I was saying, reading on, I, I put some some links to the articles that I'm going to be going over. In, uh, in the YouTube video where I am broadcasting this as well as the uh, Facebook Live where I'm streaming this. So going on, going further, um, I, I'm so glad that you joined me today, Entity, by the way. Uh, I'm happy to see you. <laughs> um, okay, so it says, uh, so the, the article goes on to say, it is never a child's fault, as in it's never a child's fault it's never the victim's fault that they were violated. Not my fault. This is a woman, this is an article from a woman who experienced molestation and now her kids and a lot of things are falling apart. And her it was from her father, and her father's working with her son, her her husband, her ex-husband to take the kids and stuff like that. Through shimmering tears, wait, not not my fault. Your reactions were normal given abnormal circumstances. They were, so she's reading an article, she's reading a book that her therapist gave, um, that she's giving, reading a, a, a book, she's reading a book that her uh, therapist gave her that is telling her and confirming to her that number one, it's never a child's fault that they were violated and also that their reactions are normal, that her reactions are normal given the circumstances. As in there are some women, there are some children who were violated, were molested by people who were supposed to be protecting them. And maybe afterwards they started feeling these sexual urges, but it's not their fault. Whatever those feelings were, those sexual urges that came as a result, those are normal. But the thing is that person should not have brought that out of you at that age. So uh, that's just something to keep in context when I start talking about the racial problem. So the article says, you know, your reactions were normal given the, uh, giving the abnormal circumstances. So she asks what they were. Through shimmering tears, feeling validated for the first time in my life about the way I saw my history, a long dormant emotion stretched in my heart. Hope. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I had a lot of work to do to get healthy and it took time. I still had residual vulnerabilities related to my childhood. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that one can rise from victim to victor. Here are a few steps gathered over time. So these are a few steps she gathered. I'm going to go through the, the more exhaustive list that's on the psychology website about healing, steps to healing. The first step, hello, Jessica WD. Um, I'm talking today about healing from the trauma of racism, and I am comparing it to being violated as a child sexual through sexual abuse. As I'm saying to everyone who joins us, 
If you feel triggered by anything I say, or if you feel suicidal, um, please speak to someone you love immediately. Um, don't feel obligated to stick around. Um, so the steps that she speaks about are trust, because this is you know this is supposed to be helpful, but not necessarily. It's not the replacement for therapy. Trust this is the first stage. The inner you that that went into hiding. Well, it's not the first stage. It's one of the stages. The inner you that went into hiding as a child needs to know the adult you is safe. To be, to build trust, treat the wounded you the way you would have liked to have been treated when you were little. To build trust, treat the wounded you the way you would have liked to have been treated when you were little. The next stage is validate. Validate you by acknowledging that the sexual abuse you were subjected to or any abuse wounded you. Clear to the depths of your soul. Your response to being wounded was completely normal under abnormal circumstances. So whatever they did to you, it was abnormal and your response was normal. The fact that you need to heal is a whole nother story, but don't feel guilt, don't feel shame by the way you responded. So that's validate, validate the fact of what happened. Uh, let me read that validate part again, because I think it's important. Validate you by acknowledging that the sexual abuse you were subjected to or any abuse wounded you, clear to the depths of your soul. Your response to being wounded was completely normal under abnormal circumstances. Next stage, be angry. It's okay to be angry. In fact, it's better than okay. Be enraged at the injustice. You have to get angry before you can get well. Think of your anger as a healthy response because it is. Grief is the next stage. Mourn your betrayal. Mourn what might have been, what your family could have looked like, what a carefree childhood should have felt like. Grieve your loss. People who bury their grief stay stuck in it. The next stage is allow sorrow. Feel, feel sadness for your inner child's pain. It was so lonely, this feeling that there was something somehow wrong with you. So some of this can feel like even now I'm feeling sad reading it, but it's something that has to go through that that is these are stages and so like on the youtube video and the and the facebook video i called it the 11 stages of wokeness and so when you first find out that oh my gosh things are not all what they seem to be and the world around you has let you down you go through these stages of healing from the trauma the next one is face forward acknowledge your history but do not let it define you Believe you are strong enough. You are. You survived. You are stronger than you think. Okay? So acknowledge your history, but do not let it define you. So this woman ends her article by saying, I am, I am who I am today because of my history. I didn't choose my mom and dad. I was born to them. I would be a different Laura, who's the art author of this article. Not better, not worse, just different had I had another set of parents. What I know is that because I experienced what I did, I understand the heart of another in a way only those who share a history of childhood abuse can. In this, I am certain. If I can do it, so can you. So I think that's a beautiful beginning to this, um, to this discussion because it shows you truly what the similarities are between surviving, being a sexual abuse, you know, an incest survivor and, um, and, and being a victim of racial trauma. There's many things you hear there that we experience. She's that there's a thing, she talked about history. She was like, acknowledge your history, um, but don't let it define you. It's something that we have to experience every single day. She talked about uh, acknowledging your history, not letting you define you. She talked about feel, feel your inner child's pain. She talked about more the betrayal, being betrayed. All these things are feelings and thoughts and experiences that I feel like are similar with the experience of surviving racial trauma. Um, and people, people talk about, as, as you're talking about racial trauma, oftentimes we also hear conversations about, uh, we, when people are talking about racial trauma, Occasionally, you know, we also hear people talk about um, calling in black 
Like you wake up and you see another story, yet another story of a um, a black uh, person being shot in, um, uh, you know, you watch another news story about a black person being a victim of police gun violence, and you know, you want to call in black. Like these are these are these are these are like evidence of the fact that there is an actual trauma that is occurring to us, and we and it's not being talked about. And this is another way in which, oftentimes, like I said, victims of child sexual abuse they feel like society has let them down because nobody sees what the pervy uncle is doing and yet you have to keep going forward and and then people around you are um people around you don't seem to know or care or see um so you kind of start making up a story in your head trying to deal with what is happening and so i'm going to talk about the other stages of healing because there are actually 11. I talked about the six that this particular survivor mentioned. But here's a website that is called Ministries and Offices. Um, and it looks like it's a Christian uh, website. And they actually have 11 stages of healing. And the first stage is the decision to heal. Because a person has to make that decision. It's not something that, um, you know, you just are healing is forced upon you. Like, I'm going to read what they say before I start making commentary, but this website says, although most of the stages that follow are necessary, this website is archmail.org. I, I put a link in the, in the description of the YouTube and the Facebook. Although most of the stages that follow are necessary for every survivor, a few of them, the emergency state, remembering the abuse, confronting family, are not applicable for every person. So the first stage is the decision to heal. Once one recognizes the effect of sexual abuse in one's life, one needs to make an active commitment to heal. Deep healing happens only when one chooses it and is willing to change. Now, not everyone who um, finds out that there was colonization and slavery and abuse of black people and that all the bad things that are, that that all the weight all the racism that we see in black people today is actually the a result of centuries of systematized racism not everyone who figures that out is ready to heal or like wants to even heal or go through that process of getting their identity back getting their like they just some of them are just like oh my gosh this is too much and they they just go back to sleep they don't want to be woke and I understand that and I'm okay with that. I'm not trying to force my, I don't, I never try to force my thoughts and opinions on anyone, but I do express them because I'm still a human being who wants to express myself. But the decision to heal, to, it's still a healing that's occurring. It's not a, like you have to acknowledge that you are hurt and you are broken and that the healing is something that is not only something that can happen, but it's that something that you want to happen. Um, so the decision to heal is the first stage. Once one recognizes the effect of the sexual abuse, or in our case, the racial trauma in one's life, one needs to make an active commitment to heal. Deep healing happens only when one chooses it and is willing to change. The second stage, which they said that is not applicable to everyone, is the emergency stage. Beginning to deal with memories and suppressed feelings can throw your life into utter turmoil. Assure the victim that the, the victim, as in that's that's a, a, the person who is helping the victim to heal, assures the, that person, like I would be assuring you, um, that this is only a stage. It won't last forever. As in those memories coming up or whatever. And the thing about it is, for many of us who are black or brown skinned in, in, the, in most of the world, um, the memories can be different for each of us. Like some people actually remember their great grand or their grandparents talking about being slaves in a plantation or whatever. Some of us remember our parents talking about and like little things here and there will start to pop up like, oh my gosh, that's why that happened. Oh my gosh, that's why that happened. And some of that will be really painful for you. For me, my pain was when I went to college and I met people from all over the world. I lived on a dorm. I lived on the international dorm because I had just spent three years in Nigeria and I felt like I was a Nigerian. And so I lived on the international floor and they kept telling me that you're not Nigerian, you're Nigerian by way of America. And I would hear so many racist things from um, people who were, who were from other countries, some American, but some European and some Asian and various people from different countries. And I would hear racist things from them. 
they hurt me so bad because I thought I was just a regular, I just thought I was like a normal person like everybody else. And I grew up watching the TV, The Simpsons and things like that. And I thought I was just a regular person like everybody else. But then I meet these people from all over the world and realize that they don't see me like a regular person. They see me like something else. And there was one guy who was from Portugal, from Portugal, and he was, and he was a, I'm about to cry. <laughs> it was one guy who was from Portugal and he was extremely racist and, um, and I don't think he even realized how racist he was. I'm sorry, I'm about to cry. I don't think he realized how racist he was. I think he, he was just raised that way. Like, I think his parents just like he, his, his teacher, his whole system in Portugal, like his school system, his parents, whatever, just raised him to think that like Portugal is so wonderful and Africans and black people are like the, the dude at the bottom of the, on the bottom of your foot that you should just kick off because he was super racist. And he even told a joke one day that insinuated that like, it was just something like, this was a joke he told. He literally told this to my face and I just stared at him like, what am I supposed to do with this? He said, there was, he, he was talking, he said, I got a joke for you. He said, there's a, there's a, a fat black woman on a bus and she took a, she took a shit. She, she pooped, she pooped in the bus. Thank you, Indy. She pooped on the bus and then she got off the bus and started leaving. And the bus driver said, Hey, you forgot your son. And he told me this joke. Like, this is the most racist thing I've ever heard in my, well, one of the, not the most racist thing I've ever heard in my life, but he's like, had the courage to look me in the eyes and tell me this horrible joke. And I just stood there frozen and I didn't know what to say. And the thing about it is that oftentimes, um, many of us, we go around, we walk, like many of us who are black, we walk around and we, number one, we've internalized a lot of the racism. So we oftentimes don't know what to say or do in certain situations when the racism comes back to us. And we don't even know how to deal with it. Some of us even convince ourselves that we deserve it. So it hurts, it hurts. And it's something that you struggle with. So anyway, the, that, the emergency state where the memories start coming up and stuff, um, that's, a, that's a stage and uh, the person who is helping you to heal is supposed to tell you, is assure you that if this is only a stage and it will not last forever, the memories will come. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you're going to, the healing process will continue. The next stage is remembering. It says many survivors suppress all memories of what happened to them as children. Those who do not forget the actual incidents often forget how it felt at the time. Remembering is the process of getting back both memory and feeling. So there are people who go through trauma and they remember the trauma. They remember the bad things that happened. Like you remember being called African booty scratcher as a child, but you kind of suppress that and you like laugh whenever people talk about it. But you don't remember that when you were a child and you heard that you were super embarrassed. You were super broken down. You were super, um, you know, you felt like crap. You felt, it feels bad when you're a child and everybody's attacking you and making fun of you and things like that. And, you know, or you see somebody, you see Michael Brown being shot or choked. I think it's Michael Brown that was choked on live television and killed through choking and just surrounded and choked. And you might, and some of us like numb ourselves to those images so we remember the images, but we're so numb to them that we don't even allow ourselves to experience life the same way because it's like, oh, that could happen at any time. So you literally have to walk around numb to your brother or sister's pain because that's the only way you know how to deal. So that's the remembering stage. It's not just remembering, but it's remembering with the emotions involved. And it's just a stage you need someone with you to like, help you feel comfortable in that stage so you can move past that stage. Um, you don't want to keep reliving that, but you definitely do want to feel the emotions and get past them and, and understand what those things meant in the context of who you're becoming. So remembering many survivors, I'm just going to read it again. Many survivors suppress all memories of what happened to them as children. Those who do not forget the actual incident often forget how it felt at the time. Remembering is the process of getting back both memory and feeling.
the next stage, believing it happened. Now we all know that we can sometimes be in denial that racism has actually happened. We hear people say, well, I'm not black or I'm not, you know, this or whatever. And you just look at them with their brown skin self, like, huh? Like, what are you, like, are you serious right now? You're not black, but you hear it, you hear it. So believing it happened is another stage. Most adult survivors often doubt their own perceptions, coming to believe that the abuse really that believe that the abuse really happened and that it really hurt is a vital part of the healing process. So some of us, you know, black, brown people all over the world need to know, need to be acknowledged. And that's one of the reasons why it sucks so bad that America will not just own up to its what it did. It sucks so bad because it makes the healing process almost impossible for a lot of people. We're walking around with scars that can never heal because People won't admit that it happened. And th that's why a lot of us have to come to terms by ourselves. We, we ourselves need to be like, you know what? This happened and it hurts and it sucks, but it happened and I'm determined to move past it and to make something for myself and to make something of myself and my community, despite the fact that it happened and that you guys will not give me the voice or the justification. Uh, Indy says, everyone always wants to erase the black part of them. I know, and it sucks. So um, even though every, but I will say this, just to give you context, even though everyone, a lot of people try to erase the black part of them, you know, as a victim, we don't want to say that it's our fault or we, wanna, we don't want to guilt or shame others or ourselves for feeling that because at the end of the day, the abuse happened and is happening. And so at, but, so at the same time, you know, as people are feeling that feeling, you have to acknowledge there's a reason you're feeling that feeling, even though it's not really good to want to do that you still have to acknowledge that that feeling is in you to even like, even as you're seeing that in other people, you're, it's also in yourself wanting to erase the black side of yourself. But in order for you to heal and be confident and strong in who you actually are now as a person in this moment, you have to realize that you are a victim. You're not wrong for wanting to erase the black part of you, but realize, but once you understand that, and then you also understand that the black part of you is beautiful, You'll get a, you'll eventually begin to organically love the black part of you and make it make make it a part of who you are now in the best way possible. I always say on my videos, blossom where you're planted. And that means so much. She said, that's very true. Thanks for the reminder. You're very welcome. Indeed. I always say the end of my videos, blossom where you're planted. And that means so many things to me. It means that no matter who you are, what you can, where you came from, where you are planted, where you find yourself, no matter what scars, what brokenness, what things have happened to you, you can still become a rose and blossom exactly as you are. With all the scars and everything like that, you could be hit in the face with a Mack truck and just have broken faces and stuff everywhere, but you will still be, but you're still beautiful. You still have the ability to blossom exactly as you are. So once you heal from all the trauma and stuff like that inside of you, you start to, when you start integrating back yourself, understanding the beauty of who you are and who you've always been, despite the fact that bad things happen to you, eventually you will be stronger for it. And you will be more in love with yourself than you ever have been. Like, wow, I went through all that. And, you know, here I am, look at me now. And you may come out scarred like me. I feel like speaking English and not being able to speak fluent Igbo is a scar. That's like a scar of my racial trauma, but yet I have accepted that I can speak, like it's gonna be difficult for me to learn Igbo now. It's like if somebody went through a, the trauma of being hit by a bus and they broke their leg and they can never walk again. Eventually they're gonna have to understand that losing a leg was part of the trauma of what happened to them, but they're stronger for it. But not that they're stronger for it, but they are still strong, even though they don't have a leg now but that's not going to stop them from living their life. That's not going to stop them from being who they are and being beautiful, despite the fact that now they only have one leg. So um, it's about, it's about knowing that you were beautiful and now you're something you're you, now you're still beautiful, but you're different than you were before. There's nothing, you're not less of a person because you lost a part of yourself. Um, so where was I? I said, believing it happened, believing it happened. Now the next part is breaking silence. 
Most adult survivors keep the abuse a secret in childhood. Hi, Mixie. Hi, Ejiro. Hi. Um, so today, Ejiro, I'm talking about, and uh, you can stay if you want. You don't have to. Oh, she she's. I think maybe she has connection. She usually has connection issues. Um, so uh, the next stage is breaking silence. Most adult survivors kept the abuse a secret in childhood. Telling another human being about what happened is a powerful healing force that can dispel the shame of being a victim. So breaking the silence. So like it's like, it, I'm just gonna read it one more time. Most adult survivors kept the abuse a secret in childhood. Telling another human being about what happened is a powerful healing force that can dispel the shame of being a victim. And so in like, it's like I'm reading about sexual abuse here. A child who has gone through sexual abuse, part of the whole cult of sexual abuse is to not tell people that it happened, not tell people that you were molested, not tell people that um, pervy uncle, because they, they usually tell you to keep it a secret. And even if nobody told you to keep it a secret, you'll still keep it a secret because in your mind, you know that this is not supposed to be happening. And people will, you'll feel like something, you'll feel like, you'll feel like somebody, you did something wrong by it, by letting it happen, or somehow you're involved in this somehow, or like you take responsibility for it. So you always feel like you shouldn't tell anybody about it. Um, also, you may feel guilt about maybe the way, the feelings you had while it was happening or whatever. So you just never tell anybody. And so for, for many reasons, children don't, don't tell or people who are victims of abuse don't, don't talk about it or admit that it actually happened or even talk to other people about it. But part of the healing process it says here is breaking the silence. You know, being able to tell another person about what happened is powerful healing force that can dispel the shame of being a victim, which is why people get angry when people say, what do you mean black lives matter? All lives matter. Because what it is, is it's the, it's the, it's the perpetrators trying to silence the victims and tell them, you don't have the right to talk about this. You shouldn't talk about this. This isn't good to talk about this. You know, keep it quiet. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't don't tell anybody because it's like you're trying to silence the victim and not let them heal is essentially what's happening. You don't want the victim to heal. So you're trying to silence them. And that is one of the reasons why the problems that perpetuate a society continue to be perpetuated. So breaking silence. So having being told that it's OK to speak up and not only that it's OK, but that you should speak up is an important and crucial part of healing. Um, obviously, you want to speak up to people who who, who you trust and who love you. So that's important. The next stage is understanding that it wasn't your fault. It wasn't the victim's fault. The person who experienced the racism, the person who experienced the racial trauma, it's not your fault. The people who say things like, well, Africans were selling Africans as slaves or, well, Africans were bad or something, you know, oh, they, they're greedy and they did this and they did that. And that's why they deserve to have been enslaved and colonized. And they were stupid and they were, they were, um, they were stupid or they, you know, deserve it. Or, you know, they were worshiping the devil or whatever type of stories people want to tell themselves about Africans to make you think that Africans somehow deserved to be colonized and enslaved and raped and, and treated that way so that you yourself never reach that point of healing, never reach that point of understanding exactly what it is that happened. Um, that's a tool of the enemy. <laughs> that's a tool of the devil. That is a tool of the, of the perpetrators who, who are not, who are unrepentant about what they did. And that's why people call you out for your racism when you say stuff like, oh, uh, Africans sold Africans as slaves. Yes, you are racist for saying that because you're basically trying to say that it's Africans' fault, that you that your ancestors came to our country and violated us. So that's another thing that is like breaking, you know, understanding that it's not the victim's fault is an important part. Um let me let me read what it says here. It says children usually believe the abuse is their fault. It's just like when people when your parents punish you or whatever, everything that happens is your fault. If bad things happen to you, it's your fault when you're a child, right? So, um, so that's one of the reasons why child's people who are sexual abused they, they remain like silent and all that kind of stuff. 
and under, think that everything is their fault. Children usually believe the abuse is their fault. Adult survivors must place the blame where it belongs, directly on the shoulders of the abusers. Amen. The next uh, stage is making contact with the child within. I think this is a super important part because I think, like Indy correctly stated, a lot of Black people don't even want to be associated with any part of their Blackness. And a lot of people, ch children who were sexually abused, do not want to identify with the, with the fact that they were children, the, the, the childish part of themselves, or, you know, the fact that they were children at one point who were innocent and naive and curious and, you know, love, fun loving and spontaneous and all these things. Children sometimes do, like when you go through a part where that your innocence is violated, sometimes you just want to shut that off. Like that part of yourself that was violated, like, no, you know, I, I'm not a child. I'm a mature, I'm an adult or whatever idea you think an adult is, you try to take that role on and try to become that. And, and that's a, that's a part, that's a part of being a victim. You try to shut off that part of yourself that you think is at fault for your, for your victimhood. So, uh, making contact with the child within is an important part of the healing process. Many survivors have lost touch with their own vulnerability. Getting in touch with the child within can help one feel compassion for self, more anger at the abuser, and greater intimacy with others. So it's saying that you know when a child or a victim of racial prejudice, I mean racial racial trauma, when a child's victim of sexual abuse or a victim of racial trauma finally decides to get in touch with that part of themselves that was abused the child that was once vulnerable and loving and, 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 and just saw the world as beautiful and was curious and wanted to know more about this. What is that? What is that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And interacted with people with no fear. Um, when you're like the, the, the child who experienced that needs to get in touch with that side of themselves that, that is curious and open and, and willing to make contact. Um, and the same way with blacks, I feel like a lot of blacks are so shielded they don't want, they're so guarded is what I'm going to say. They're so guarded. They don't want, they don't want people to come near. They don't want people to come in. They don't want people to see them. They want to be hidden. They want to be strong. And that's why many of the, the, the strong, the image of the strong black woman or the strong, whatever, no one is strong all the time. So we walk around trying to be strong all the time, but no one is strong all the time. That's why many people become addicted to, to become substance abusers and, 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 and become aggressive or become so many different things because no one can be strong all the time and eventually takes a toll on you. So, um, so this is saying that, you know, getting in touch with that part of yourself can help you feel compassion for yourself and feel anger towards the person who did that to you. Like you're supposed to feel like you, why did you do this to me? Like, I could have had a good child. I could have been like, you look at white people and many of them are just so carefree. They do what they want. They go home. They, it's fine. But you, you can't leave the house. You can't do anything. Like you, you can't like be free and just be spontaneous and do stuff. A lot of black people do not feel free to just express themselves. However that looks because they're so concerned all the time. Oh, I don't want to look like this. I don't want to look too black. I don't want to look too, you know, this or that. I had a conversation with you in the D one day about, um, about uh, you know, the fact that some people can't even eat watermelon at, the, at work or chicken at work because they're afraid that they look too black. And it's like, I can't enjoy my favorite food now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, so you have to, you have to be angry. You have to be able to be angry at someone who would dare say, you cannot, I can't eat chicken. Like you just going to be, you know what I mean? Like be in touch with the fact that that behavior is not okay. You don't want, it's not about being angry at white people. It's about being angry at the, at anybody who would dare question your humanity or make you feel violated like that. You can be angry at that person. You can say, no, stay back, step back. Don't, no, don't come close. Do not do that to me because you don't have the right to do that. You can say that you, you have to take your power back and then have some compassion for yourself and then that will also allow you to have greater intimacy with others. When you see somebody who's hurting, it'll allow you to be open and be like, you know what? I love you. I'm sorry. I don't want that to happen to you. That person is wrong for doing that to you. Or you can just let your hair down and, and around people and people will come closer to you because you let your hair down around them. And you were just being, you allowed yourself to just be yourself. And it becomes easier to actually just be around people. So, 
Um, making contact with the child within is, of course, that the stage. The next stage is trusting oneself. Trusting oneself. The best guide for healing is one's is one's inner one's inner one's own inner voice. Learning to trust one's own perception, feelings, and intuition forms a new basis for action in the world. So. I'm going to finish reading it. So it says, as children being abused and later as adults struggling to survive, most survivors haven't felt their losses. Grieving is a way to acknowledge pain, let go, and move into the present. So it says trusting oneself. A lot of times when you're a victim, you don't trust yourself anymore. Because as I've explained many times in these, in this, throughout reading this, people who are victims oftentimes blame themselves. They think something it's something wrong with them. It's something that they did wrong. Something about their identity or something about who they are that's just bad. And when you learn to trust yourself and trust not only yourself, but your inner voice, because when you're a child, your voice is taken away. You're kind of, when you're, when you're abused as a child, when you're abused, when you're abused by someone who has more power over you and, and when you're vulnerable with someone and that person takes your power away and abuses you in the midst of that, um, you stop trusting yourself. You're like, is there something I did? Did I do something? Is there something I did to deserve this? Maybe if I did something, then maybe I shouldn't believe what I'm saying. Maybe I shouldn't believe what I'm thinking. Everything I'm saying is wrong. I should, I gotta find, well, then you all of a sudden you start getting into the cycle of validating, wanting people to confirm that you're doing it right, that you're, that you're what you're doing is okay, that how you're doing it is okay. Is this right? Is this look good? Is this, is this fine? Did I do it right? You know, you're, you're always looking for validation and it keeps that cycle because not everyone deserves to have to be your validator. Some people will abuse that. Some people abuse the fact that you want them to validate you. Like, oh, you want me to validate you? You, you, you want me to like you? Okay, come do this. Come do this with me. Come do that. Come do that with me. And all of a sudden you, that you become somebody who people use as a doormat and people start abusing more because they feel like you're easy. Um, you're an easy target. So you have to learn to trust yourself. That's the next stage. After you make contact with a child within, you start to trust yourself, trusting your inner, your inner self, um, your your conscious, your inner voice, your um, your perceptions, your feelings, your intuition. You start to trust it. You start to get it back. Um, the next stage is anger. The next stage is anger. There's three more stages. Just FYI. Um, the next stage is anger. Anger is a powerful and liberating force. Whenever, when, whether one needs to get in touch with it or has always had plenty to spare, directing rage squarely at the abuser and no one else and at those who didn't protect the victim is pivotal to healing. So um, the next stage, like I said, is anger and it's powerful and it's liberating. Um, a lot of times people who are victims of abuse do not um, allow themselves to feel anger anymore. They always want to be the, they want always want to be the person who's like making people feel good and like, you know, um, and things like that. So, so you have to allow yourself to get in touch with anger and specifically anger at the person who's abusing you. Because a lot of people who either, who, who become, who are victims of abuse, either become angry at the wrong people or don't feel anger or become anger or get their anger turned inwards. They become angry at themselves and become suicidal. Or the other thing is that they get angry at the world. They just have this generalized anger where everybody, no one can be trusted and they just become like this hardened person. And, um, and none of that is okay. Like the anger has to be directed to the right person, to the person. Some people get angry at God for even creating the world and making people evil and blah, 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 blah. And that's another thing where I talked, I started this whole thing. We're talking about why I'm still a Christian, despite the fact that of the fact that Christianity was used to perpetrate some of the atrocities, but I can still be a Christian because my anger is not with God. My anger is with particular people who allow themselves to be victims and agents of the devil, the allow themselves to be agents of the devil in my life. Those are the people who deserve to be, to deserve my anger and deserve my wrath, not or not, maybe not my wrath. God, but God says that He will. He has the final say with that. But like, my anger is targeted directly towards the person who is trying to to violate me, and that's where the anger belongs. So um, that is, you know, something that people have to, you know, be 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 able to accept that, and that's that's that is healing. That that helps you to heal. 
Um, that's part of the healing process. When you get to that stage where you can be angry and angry specifically at the person who, who victimized you and not just the person who victimized you, but also people who knew about the victimization and were quiet about it or were complicit about it or even encouraged it. Your anger needs to be at them too because they deserve your anger. Those are the people who are deserving of your anger. It's not to be a generalized anger at everybody, which sometimes I feel like myself getting when it comes to this racial stuff, but um, but everybody doesn't deserve your anger. Some people do, some people don't. Hi, hi, Adama, how are you? So some people deserve your anger, some people don't. So having a generalized anger at everybody is never um, never helpful. The final two stages, the second, the second stage is disclosures and confrontations. So people who experience this abuse also have to um, experience, have to go through the stage of disclosures and confrontations. They have to directly confront the abuser and or the, the person's family is not for, it, to, to, to do this is not for everybody, but some people can. Some people who can should directly confront the abuser and or their family and, um, but not every survivor needs to do this, but it can be a dramatic, helpful tool. So it, it can be, I thought somebody called me. If you, um, if you can, or if the person is alive or in, not, in, not in jail, or if they're available and you think that maybe you have an intimate relationship with this, this person or these people, or they're close to you, or in some way you guys have been, have maintained maintained a relationship, then the healing process that in order to heal, you need to be able to, and if there are specific people in your life that, and I'm talking about both in racial, like racial trauma, as well as abuse um, of any kind. If you, if you're still connected to these people and you've gone through all the other stages of healing, then just being open about it and being, because you're so strong and you've gotten to the point where you actually are strong enough to deal with the fact that this happened and you're okay with yourself now and you're okay with the world now, there comes a stage where you have to be okay talking about what happened. And so that's the disclosure and confrontation. That sometimes the people who it's so generalized or there's too many people that you don't even need to talk to those people because it's just like, okay, everybody is pretty much in on it or whatever. Like if you're in a community of people and everybody's like, that's, it's just accepted or whatever, then it's probably not necessary or possible to even like address the issue. Um, but if it is possible, then it's, it's an important part of the healing process. The last stage is resolution and moving on. Resolution and moving on. And so the article says, as one moves through these stages again and again, one will reach a point of integration. Feelings and perspectives will stabilize. Stability is the important word. That's the goal right now. That's the goal throughout all of it. One will come to terms with the abuser and other family members while one won't erase history, one will make deep and lasting changes in life. Having gained awareness, compassion, and power through healing, one will have the opportunity to work toward a better world. Now, what does that mean in terms of racial trauma, like, I, like we're talking about? And what does that mean in terms of like sexual or physical abuse from, a, from someone who was supposed to be protecting you and your vulnerability as a child? Resolution and moving on is the goal. Like all that other stuff is stages that will be painful and will hurt and will have to, they all those layers that have to be peeled back. But the final goal is that this is the thing, this is the hope, this is the thing that makes you even hold on for all the other stages is this point right here, which is resolution and moving on. What you want is to get to a point where you where you're stable where your emotions are stable. That's the thing. The key is your emotions are stable. Not just being, oh, I, I got a house now. I, could, I got my own money. I can keep a job. Like your emotion has to be stable. Like I'm good with myself. I'm good with where I am. I'm good with how I turned out. I'm good with you know the life I'm living. I'm not crying myself to sleep at night. I'm not having ideas of suicide. I'm not having like all these other things that people can have associated with trauma or flashbacks or whatever you might be having. I'm not having outbursts of anger or rage at people for nothing. And people are wondering like, what's wrong with this girl? Why is she always so angry? Or man, what's wrong with him? Why is he so angry? Like you're not having those things that are making your life difficult anymore. That stability, that emotional stability is the goal that you're heading for. And 
you know, I, and hopefully people can go through all these stages and still be able to um, reach a point of healing, complete and total healing. So that's all. That's really everything I want to talk about today. Um, oh, and my 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 broadcast is about to end anyway automatically on uh, Instagram. So I'm gonna just say this quick goodbye to Instagram. Uh, I'll still be on Facebook and YouTube for about another like five minutes while I do a little wrap up about everything that I've been talking about. Um, so I mean, if you want to finish watching, then you could always just go to uh, Facebook, uh, which is facebook.com forward slash wudo. LLC or YouTube, uh, go.wudo.com forward slash YouTube and see the rest. Okay, I had to <laughs> end the uh, YouTube, the um, Instagram broadcast. Be well, I didn't end it. It ended itself, but I had to like adjust the, the my device so that it's not like, but my whole thing with, so let me just finish what I'm talking about um, so that I can wrap this up and go downstairs and see what everyone's doing. Um, I talked all about, I talked about all of this in relation to, um, in relation to the, uh, the race, I comparing racism to sexual abuse. And I hope you can see now the parallels between healing from child sexual abuse and healing from racial trauma. I hope you can see through what I've been talking about the parallels. I hope you saw the parallels of what I was saying. If any of it, like I said, is a trigger to you or feeling suicidal, please, please, please go, um, please, please, please go talk to someone who loves you or talk to a psychiatric professional. Wrapping it all up, packaging it up, coming to conclusion about all of this, I just want to um, end by saying that any type of trauma deserves to be healing and healed. And when you are violated by someone who, when you when you have your trust and your vulnerability violated by someone who is supposed to be protecting you, it hurts. Like when when like for example, when a parent is beating you, I know in African culture it's like like people just accept that people are going to be beaten. People just accept it. And it's not really healthy at all to just beat your child freely. Um, but when, but a lot of us accept it. And But the thing is that oftentimes the children who grow up from getting beaten, they start to resent people. They get resentful of their brothers and sisters for watching them get beat. They get resentful of their parents the parent who didn't do, even if the parent didn't do the beating, they get presentful of that parent. And all of it, all of it, all of it is uh, painful in many ways. Um, and so it's, 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 an, it's a process that, needs to, that people need to heal from. It's a process that always needs healing from. And so in the same way, when you are healing from a child sexual trauma or child physical abuse, um, Healing from racial trauma is the exact same process. And you also are healing from the fact that the entire society has let you down. There are people who you've told, oh, this person was racist to me. This person looked at me this way. This person is it. And you were not able to express yourself fully because they're just like, oh, yeah, don't 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 think about that. Don't don't think of it that way. It's actually this. And it's like, what are you talking about? I know what I'm experiencing. I know what I'm feeling. I know how I feel inside and you realize that nobody around you really gets what you're experiencing, really understands the experience that you're having. And when you get to that final stage stage of healing, which was, I think it was like acceptance and that, when you get to that stage, what the actual thing that's happening at that stage is that you are, um, what happening is at this stage is that you're realizing that you're okay. The people around you are hurt and broken people, scarred in many ways, and they're they're going through their own processes and things like that. They need to be healed from, and you know you're not so longer just angry at generalized anger at the world. But even sometimes you have to realize that some of the people that kind of dismissed you when you were going through your trauma. Some of the some of the people who dismissed you when you were going through your trauma also are have experienced trauma too. 
and they're not speaking to you about your trauma. Some of them are speaking to you about their trauma. Oh yeah, just ignore it. Just it's it's not that serious. Blah blah blah. Yeah, that's how they decided to deal with it. That's not that has nothing to do with you. And so your your particular experience in the world may be very very different from the experiences of someone else who may even be trying to give you advice or maybe telling you what to do or may even be like dismissing you or yelling at you about the way you feel. Don't take it personally. Don't take it personally. Um, go through the healing process. I put the links to these video, the to the articles in the description of these videos. Um, check it out if you feel like you want to talk to a therapist. I don't have any that I can recommend for for healing from healing from racial trauma. I, have, I honestly don't have anyone I can um, recommend because I don't know anyone who actually practices. You know you know, practices trying to help people heal from this type of trauma. Um, I don't know anyone, but I'll feel free to Google it if it's if it's out there. Um, or you may just want to get a black therapist. But some of the black therapists might even be trying to heal from their own, you know, trying to may not be woke either. So they may be also trying to heal from their own racial trauma or may have some racial trauma that they need to heal from. I really hope this is helpful to people. I mean, talk to someone who loves you. Um, if you feel any, if you feel triggered by this video, or talk to a therapist, like I keep saying. Um, but know that healing is possible. And as always, um, I love everybody. I'm trying to, you know, be helpful in these videos as much as possible. I'm not trying to spread hatred or anything like that. I really, really want healing. I want healing in individuals as well as in communities as well as in the world, as well as in America, as well as in Africa. All I want is healing. That's the only reason I do anything that I do. Um, and as always, bless.